What a great weekend we've just had. Let me, let me share some things before we turn to Romans 3 again in this Divine Plumbline mini-series. Uh, you know, in six years, I think this was our sixth year of doing uh, Feeding the 5,000, our third year here, we had the best preparation, the most stuff given, the most uh, of everything, and we were so far ahead. We did the most promotion we'd ever done. We had um, more flyers go out, more uh, paid promotional spots, and all of these other things. And we had the least amount of participants. We had more volunteers as well, but we didn't have a huge crowd turnout. We gave them a box to be, a, to be blessed, and we gave them another box to be a blessing. But then, unlike the last two years, we had a few hundred boxes left over. And I was deeply, deeply disappointed by that. I'll be honest with you. Those of you that volunteered and gave it your time, you felt the same way, I'm certain, because we wanted people to come. You know, part of the problem when your government wants to play Santa Claus and give everybody everything, it makes it hard for the church to come along. That's one issue, but I think there's something bigger at play, and it's a reminder to me that God's in control and I'm not. You do everything you can do to plan and prepare and do your best but then you have to trust the results to God. And God did something yesterday afternoon that really humbled me. And I'll tell you why. I felt like, Lord, we've put all this effort and these hundreds of volunteers have come and worked their guts out, but we didn't have as many people here for a lot of reasons, not the least of which people have received a lot. You know when people are saying, what's in the box? Or, oh, I have to go inside to get that, or you can't just bring it to me. You know when you get those comments that uh, people have been given too much maybe. But here's what happened. After most of us left, our team, thanks to Pastor Mike and, uh, of course, to uh, Pastor Kevin and to other pastors and to our facilities team, to Hugh Ogle who took, and then a lot of volunteers, we had had some shut-ins call through the week from different parts of East Tennessee saying, I really need some help. Is there anything you can do? And we weren't sure that we would have the resources. Do you know we were able to get volunteers, these I've mentioned plus many others, to go out and every one of the shut-ins that had needs, we were able to meet their needs yesterday because of those boxes. And then listen to this. Our guys, <clears throat> we were trying to take them to a big ministry. I'll not even mention the name. They promised they were gonna take and help distribute and they backed out on us last minute. I'll not tell you who, but you can talk to me privately. But they backed out. So I thought, Lord, what are you doing here? We can't waste this chicken. I mean, the food, the other stuff, the non-perishables are fine. But do you know the Lord opened the door to connect us to a pastor yesterday working in an apartment complex that ministers to single mothers. And he said a lot of those mothers had no idea where their, even their next meal, much less their Thanksgiving meal, was going to come from. They were able to give a bunch of boxes to single young moms that needed food yesterday. And we didn't even know about them, right? Isn't that amazing? We had senior adults that had, that had a great need that could not get out and come that we discovered after the event. I've got a stack, it's this thick if not thicker, and that is no exaggeration. It is sitting in the executive office right now, and I only flipped through about five this morning, and I was gonna start crying, and I just stopped. Because it was people expressing their deep appreciation and gratitude, people that were here for what God had done. My father has Alzheimer's, my mother has this. We had no idea what we were gonna do, but thank you for opening it up. I felt the peace of God here. God spoke to my heart. God drew me back to himself. And so what I looked at as a mistake, God looked at as an opportunity. Do you see that? And it's one thing for me to preach that, like when God told the uh, disciples, hey, you give them something to eat. Well, that was not a problem, that was an opportunity. 
And I think what we saw yesterday was that God actually took this ministry off our campus. We are praying and thinking right now, how might we take the same thing and next year maybe go where more people are in need and take it off campus? I think that'd be pretty cool. Maybe consider a downtown venue. Maybe consider um, getting in a different, needier area, community. Here's the deal, guys. God already knows what he's doing, but your team, we're planning and praying about next year, and you guys could not have been better. We had 20 folks come forward for decision counseling, for salvation. Do you know 10 people yesterday followed through and gave their hearts and their lives to the Lord Jesus and were baptized? We celebrated 10 more baptisms here at Grace. You can't be upset about that. The Bible says the value of one soul is far and away greater than all the gold on the earth. So to have 10 people, others prayed to receive Christ, but to have 10 that followed through in addition and were baptized was a beautiful picture. I can't thank you enough. Dale, uh, Dale's our uh, roving videographer. Grab that mic. Dale said something in the prayer room this morning. We always get together, go through the service and pray. Dale gets a perspective that most of us don't get because he's back there during baptisms filming back behind the wall there so you can get that great angle and kind of see people go down and up. And uh, Dale, just share that one thing you were sharing about uh, what you witnessed yesterday and what God did in your own heart. Yeah, so doing the 5,000 in the past and the numbers that we've seen um, and the numbers that we had turn out yesterday, uh, it... You know, it, seeing all the people come in, uh, the amount of people that we had, families, kids, and realizing that we're so blessed to be a part of a church that wants to love and give back in the community. Uh, but then my heart was broken seeing these families that are here, not members of this church, that, want, that are wanting fed. And I'm processing all of this. And uh, we're up doing baptisms. <laughs> And then I realized they're getting fed more than they realize. This is not just about a meal. Uh, I could feel God moving up in the baptism and just the hair on my arm started to stand up and the chills. And there was a young lady, or not only a young lady, I'm sorry, but there was a lady that was coming down. She couldn't wait to get baptized. Uh, it, to me, it almost seemed like God saved the best for last. You know, we can, we can have 10,000 dinners to give away, but to see this woman get baptized, just that one woman, if she was the only one to show up last night, all the effort put in by the volunteers and staff, that made it worth it. To see her get baptized and to see the weight come off of her, she looked like a total different person when she came out of there. I wish every member of this church and every volunteer could have had the luxury that I had to be there that close and to feel God moving over that moment. It was, it was incredible. It was. There was such a joy she was coming up. You're gonna see that too. Thank you, Dale, I appreciate you, buddy. You're gonna see that. Thanks to, uh, thanks to Jesse right here, our lead videographer who stayed uh, late and put together a highlight reel for you. I cannot thank you enough. God just sort of 
turned my heart and said, uh, you don't know my plans. I am bigger than you, big boy. I'm smarter than you. There are people that weren't able to come here physically that needed that help, and we were able to take it to them. To every one of you, many hundreds of volunteers, thank you from the bottom of my heart and from our team for doing such an incredible job to make such a difference. We know at least 10, and there were more, eternities, eternities changed because of what we did for a Thanksgiving meal. So let's watch this couple minutes highlight reel and just rejoice in what the good Lord has done when his people put their resources together. That is uh, such a blessing to see that. One of the young men that I uh, was shaking hands with has actually um, gone out from among us. He's gone through boot camp. He is now serving and fighting to protect our freedoms. And he was back, and this weekend he continued to serve with his family, with Alex and Denise, mom and dad, sister, Chloe, is that right, Miss Chloe? And so Benji Bash, serving in our armed forces, is with us today. Would you give a big hometown welcome to Benji this morning? God bless you, buddy. Appreciate you very much. Good. Good. Glad you were here. It was a joy to be able to see you there. And... Um, I just, again, words are insufficient, guys. Words are insufficient. Maybe for me, the, one of the most beautiful things outside of seeing people's eternities change and seeing them be obedient to baptism is seeing you guys and the little children 
and the teenagers and the adults and the precious senior saints all working together. Can you think of any other prettier picture of the church being the church? We're going to pray about what God would do next year, about how we can do this and how we can reach even more people. But as I really processed yesterday, as I kept getting reports of where those extra boxes were going, I realized that God never makes any mistakes. And I've got to quit being uh, so narrow-minded and having such little faith. You remember the father that said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? I feel like I'm that guy a lot of the time. Lord, I believe you want to do this. You want to touch people. Help me in my unbelief. So thank you again. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Romans 3. We're going to continue in the Divine Plumbline series on this subject, how to be right with God. We started last week. Remember what a plumb line is. If you're new to grace, it's this line. It's got a weight on the end. It's a plumb bob, and we're tr showing here true vertical, right? This is true vertical. Now, isn't that a beautiful UT color? Man, they put a whooping on last night, didn't they, y'all? Look at that. And so, South Alabama. Any South Alabama fans? Surely not. Okay. Any Alabama? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not even going there. We're not going to roll tide. All right. So, this is true vertical. This aligns us. This is not you. This is not me. This is Jesus, the living word. Jesus, the living word. And the scripture, the Bible, the written word, okay? That's what aligns us. This is what makes us right. Remember when you see that big word, righteousness, I want you to be thinking, first five letters, right. How to be right with God. I think honest thinking people want to know how to be right with their creator, with their judge, the one that they'll stand in front of one day. How can I know that I know that I am rightly aligned with him? I mean, if I do a lot of good things in my life, but I'm not aligned rightly to God, what difference does it make? Because it's temporal. It's like I kept saying yesterday to folks here about the big boxes of food, and it was tens of thousands of dollars worth of food, and yet it'll be gone just like that. In the blink of an eye, that food will be gone. And so we've got to remember that what we do as a church has to be more than investing temporarily. Uh, people have said, well, well um, not, not members of Grace, but some others have said, well, couldn't we just do a drive-through and hand out things? We could. We certainly could. We could just put gospel literature in there. And maybe some people would read that gospel literature, and maybe they would be saved. And that's certainly a possibility, and I think there's value there. However, I think there's far greater value in giving people an opportunity to hear the truth and see Christians on living out their faith in front of them and then calling them to respond and giving them a chance to make public what God's just done in their heart privately. And so I think there's such value in what we do, but I think thinking people rightly want to know, am I aligned with God? Am I in line with the Lord? How do we get there? What have we learned? Well, we said to get right with God, to be in alignment, we, we got to remember righteousness is from him, right? It starts with him. It is uh, not based on our works. If we add anything to it, we'll be prideful. And the next two weeks, leading up to my Christmas series, we're going to talk about pride and prejudice. I'm stealing from the Jane Austen novel title, but we're going to talk about pride and prejudice. And we know there's no place for those in the life of the Christian, but it's not based on our works. It is based on the grace of God. We base it on God's riches at Christ's expense. But what else do we need to learn from this text? Well, let's stand back up together as we honor the reading of God's Word. Let me pick back up 21 and go to 26 here in Romans 3. 
and look at this word righteousness, and then today also focus on this word faith. You'll hear a lot about them, both. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. That's the verbal form of the word faith. Faith would be the noun. To believe is the verb. For there's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what an incredible little paragraph And these aren't aren't just any words. These are words breathed by you, words from your heart to our heart, words that we can not only live by today but live by forever. And I know, Lord, for some there are some big theological terms in here that we need to unpack, and I, I definitely want to bring the cookies down on the bottom shelf. It's the only place I can reach them anyway, Father, you know. And so I want folks to be able to to walk away with understanding because when we understand the word, we can rightly apply the word of truth. And I pray that we would leave this place changed. It was incredible yesterday to see people leaving here, Lord, changed on a different eternal path. What a beautiful picture. Let it be said the same today, that lives and eternities will be changed for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you and be seated. So righteousness is from God, not based on our works. It's based on his grace. Let's see how we we nail this down. Righteousness is secured by the sacrifice of Christ. Righteousness is secured. So to be right with God, I secure that by the sacrifice of Christ. So again, look at 24 and 25. Although we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, we're justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation, look, by his blood, that's sacrificial language, by his blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness. So what in the world is this talking about? Let me break it down with three words. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ, So justified through the redemption, and God presented him, Jesus, as a propitiation through faith. Let's break it down. Justification, justified. It's a legal term from the world of law. I wrote it like this in your notes. Justification is the act of being declared not guilty. Does it mean I'm not guilty? No. (laughs) All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am guilty, but God declares me righteous. God takes my wickedness, and in exchange, he gives me Christ's righteousness. Theologians call this the great transaction. So there's this exchange that happens by faith, and Jesus secured the righteousness of God in his sacrifice. So Wayne Grudem, great theologian, he defines it this way, justification. 
An instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. So we are found not guilty and we are declared righteous. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, you'll see on your screens, the Bible says that he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, this great transaction. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Warren Wiersbe, great pastor, theologian, he's home with the Lord now. He told the story some years ago about a man who purchased a Rolls Royce and decided to tour Europe. He was enjoying his drive through the countryside, enjoying the sights, but suddenly his Rolls Royce uh, broke down and nobody was around that part of the country that could fix it. So this was many years ago. He cabled the company in England and they flew a man over to do the repairs. And so the owner of the car thought to himself, man, this is gonna cost me an arm and a leg. This is crazy. And so the Rolls Royce owner waited for the bill and it never came. So finally, he wrote the Rolls-Royce company back, and he said, look, your mechanic flew over, he fixed my car, I really want to know what this is going to cost me, and he got a letter back from the Rolls-Royce company that said this, dear sir, thank you so much for your letter. You need to know that we have no record in our files that any Rolls-Royce has ever broken down at any place at any time for any reason. That is brilliant. See, that's what justification has done in the life of the Christian. You may fail. You will fail. You may break down. You will break down. You may run in a ditch. You will run in a ditch. But God Almighty looks down at you, and through Christ, he says, there is no record that my child has ever broken down at all. It doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means Christ is perfect, and his sacrifice is perfectly sufficient. Your sin record is wiped away. See, the blood of bulls and goats and animals, lambs and all of those things, covered sin temporarily. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses sin permanently. You see, that's the difference, and that's why we don't have to sweat the small stuff. We don't have to worry and fret, well, what if I did this, and what if I said that? We come clean with God through Christ, and then if we, and we will, stumble, we confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and to do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's justification, just as if I'd never sinned. Redemption. Now, that word has its background in the world of, world of commerce, particularly the marketplace. There are a couple of Greek words used. One means to buy something. The other means to buy it out. And that's more the concept of this, to buy it out of the marketplace. So I'm at the flea market. I see something. Maybe it's old. It's dusty. It's dirty. But I want it. I pay the merchant. I buy it out. I clean it up. I take it to my home. When we use the word redemption, it means I redeemed it from where it is and it will never go back there. I purchased it. It means this, redemption, the act of being set free by the payment of a price. It has deep roots in the Old Testament. God is known as Israel's redeemer. And all of life is touched by the principle of redemption. 
From the obligation to redeem the firstborn at the annual celebration of Passover to the concept of the kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. Also, let me give you this. In antiquity, slaves were bought and sold as property. I know that you know that. I'm not talking about the European or the American slave trade. I'm talking about much, much, much earlier than that at the time of men like Paul who were writing this in the time of Christ. The only way in those days to free someone from slavery was for someone to pay the price to the master and set the slave free. The purchase price was called the redemption price. Redemption is the deliverance of someone with the payment, a ransom, if you will. We were taken captive in sin, and in our captivity, there was nothing we could do to free ourselves. But Jesus said, I will be the ransom. Look at Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Why a ransom for many and not a ransom for all? Because many won't receive the gift. Oh, he died for the world, but some will reject that for themselves so there's justification and redemption. There's this other word, propitiation. We've talked about it in time past. It's got its background in the world of religion and sacrifice. Propitiation is the act of turning away wrath by the offering of a gift. God hates sin. God's wrath is poured out, listen, on sinners. You say, whoa, 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 back up. I've heard my whole life, hate the sin, love the sinner. Yes, but you don't punish sin. No way. You don't punish lying, you punish liars, right? We've talked about that. You don't punish stealing, you punish thieves. This is the way the world works. And the Bible says, and it's replete with examples of God punishing sinners because of wrath. God's wrath. He hates sin because sin separates his creatures from their creator. Sin separates people from their maker. Sin makes the world groan, and we sense it all around us. But we've got to remember with propitiation that in the sacrifice of Christ, the anger of God was averted from us. All of the wrath fell on Calvary. That's why Jesus at one point cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because God is turning away, turning away from the hideous deformity of sin, the sin of the world that was placed on his own son. And so I remember here when I think justified or justification, who makes me justified? I think here when I hear redemption or to redeem, I think, who redeems me? I think here when I think propitiation, who is my propitiation that turns God's wrath from me? And the answer to all of those is what you just sang, Jesus, only Jesus. Here's why it matters. I put it all together. We're all guilty sinners in need of justification. We are all slaves in need of redemption. We are all under the wrath of God in desperate need of propitiation. All of us are in the same boat here. And righteousness is from God. It's not based on our works. It's based on the grace of God. It is secured by the sacrifice of Christ. And finally, righteousness is received only by faith in Christ. Only by faith in Christ. God has done everything that is needed in order for his righteousness to be applied to our account. But we must appropriate it by faith. Look at these references. Verse 22. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. You've got to believe. That's faith in action. 
25, by his blood through faith. 26, that he might be just and the justifier of one who has faith. Faith is not belief in belief. I hear just have faith. That's like optimism or hope. No, 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 no. Don't just have faith. Have faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith in faith won't save you. Faith in Jesus will save you. Saving faith must be centered on the Savior who shed his blood on the cross. What Jesus has done for mankind has no benefit to you if you don't appropriate it in your life by personal faith. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, the amazing truth about God's righteousness is that it's for sinners only. Now, who in here is a sinner? Well, Romans 3.23 says, for all, A-L-L. I can read a little Greek. You know what it says? All, A-L-L. All. It's not the same word, but it means the same thing. All people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, this is a hard one, but in the eyes of the Lord, there's no difference between a serial killer and a social worker when it comes to sin. I know we've talked about that, but let that sink in for a moment. Think about it. All have sinned. When it comes to our need of salvation, Ray Pritchard said, there's no difference between people. Since we're all sinners, we all need salvation. David Sykes was a guy in seminary, and one of his assignments was to study eight of Billy Graham's sermon manuscripts to find out how many times he quoted Romans 3.23. Amazingly, in one crusade, Dr. Billy Graham proclaimed these words. In one crusade, 56 times he said, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Have any of you ever heard Dr. Graham? Maybe in person or on TV, you know of him. We got to see him in Charlotte a number of years back. And it's amazing to me how many times Dr. Graham would say things like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he'd never leave you there because he'd come right back around to things like John 3, 16. But God loves you for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And if you've ever listened to Dr. Graham much, the messages seem so simple and so direct. But over and over and over, Dr. Billy Graham would say, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, the Bible says this. And you think, well, how in the world could a man preach and have millions of people across his lifetime come to trust Jesus? Because Billy Graham knew that this is the word of God, and what he had to say wasn't of that much value. But what God has to say is of eternal value, folks. And that's what we need in our preaching today. It's what we need in our churches today. It's what we need in our homes today. The word of almighty God. We are sinners in need of a savior. All have sinned. That, that is past tense. It reminds us back to Romans 3. All of us in our past. In fact, can I ask you a question? I don't know if there are any tiny, tiny children in the room, but even tiny kids. I mean, look, Heather Parker, y'all produced a really beautiful little girl, but she is a little rotten sinner. I'm gonna tell you right now, she's a liar. She will lie. She will look at you and tell you she hasn't done something, and the evidence is right in front of your face. Do you know they didn't teach her to do that? Did y'all know that? I didn't teach my kids, you didn't teach your kids. They just pop, boop, they just pop out. They're little liars. They're self-absorbed. If they want something, I mean, think about it. She's getting ready to be two in January. Oh. Two. Do y'all know she's redheaded? Oh. 
All of these things. A couple of times I slipped and called her Karen. I mean, I'm just telling you, you just, uh, our little Karen running around. She, she's precious. I love her. She's as sweet as she can be, but she's a dirty, rotten little sinner that needs a Savior. Did you know that? And when she's old enough, because she's safe in the arms of Jesus until that time of moral accountability and responsibility, but when she's old enough, I know her mama and daddy and G-Ma and G-Pa and her Aunt Holly and Aunt Hannah and Uncle Bo and all the family, her Papa and her Gigi. And I know everybody's going to pour Jesus into her because that's our family. But here's the thing. You don't have to teach sin. All have sinned. Everybody in this room, are we in that category? Are we sinners? Of course we are. And like I told him yesterday, if you can't raise your hand that you're a sinner, that makes you a liar. You're a sinner, okay? Join our club. And and then it says, and we fall short of the glory of God. That's present tense. It's used in the world of athletics, that phrase there, fall short. It means a runner who never makes it to the finish line. If God's finish line is perfection and we know we can't cross that line, we'll never even come close to that line. You can't even be perfect for a day. Because it's thoughts, words, action, and inaction that has to perfectly align with the Lord at all times, and none of us do that, then none of us can do this on our own. So we're all in the same boat. Over 200 years ago, a man named William Cowper was deeply depressed. He sensed the weight of God's wrath. He knew he was a dirty, rotten, stinking sinner. Well, one day he flung himself into a chair by a window, and there was a Bible there, and he said, I opened the Bible, and my eyes fell on Romans 3, 25, which said, whom God has made a propitiation through faith in his blood. And Cowper said, then and there I realized that Christ, what Christ's blood had accomplished, and I realized the effects of his atonement for me. And then and there I trusted Jesus Christ, and listen to this, Sounds like the testimony Dale shared. I had a great burden lifted from my soul. And looking back on that day, Cowper wrote a hymn several years later. Some of you, you've heard these words before, and if you've been one under the weight of sin, under the wrath of God, and you've truly given your life to the Lord, and that weight has been lifted, then you could say like Cowper, you know this. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Have y'all heard that? And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains, lose all their guilty stains. If you know it, sing it. And sinners plunged beneath that flood, lose all their guilty Is anybody else grateful that all your guilty stains are washed in the blood of Christ? What's that other hymn? What is that, that, that hymn with call and response, right? We sing, what can wash away my sin? What's the answer? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
Nothing but the blood of Jesus. All precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Though your sins be as crimson, dark red, they shall be washed white as snow. No other fount I know. We don't write music like that much anymore. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I mean, think about this, folks. By God's Grace, when we place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not just covered, we are cleansed. If you've got a bad infection, an abscess, you don't want to just cover it, you want to cleanse it, right? You want to get it out in the air, in the open, in the light, and let it heal from the inside out. So too it is with a sinner. You don't want to cover it because everybody knows we're sinners. You want to cleanse it, and Christ, and Christ alone, is the great physician that can bring you healing. You see, the Bible says that in 25, there was a time that God was in his forbearance, his patience, his long-suffering. He passed over the sins that were previously committed. What in the world does that mean? Well, the Lord is neither indifferent nor does he ever ignore sin. God's justice demands that sin and sinners be punished And God would have been just when our first family, Adam and Eve, sinned. He would have been just to destroy them, to say, I'm done with this. I'm not going to fool with humanity. He would have been just when he he could have destroyed Noah and his three sons and daughters-in-law and Mrs. Noah. He could have destroyed the whole family, but he didn't because God withheld his ultimate judgment for a time. didn't mean he didn't consider sin. It meant that he withheld his ultimate judgment. Look at this, Psalm 78. But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity, his rebellious chosen people Israel. He did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away and did not stir up his wrath, for he remembered they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Paul at beautiful Areopagus, Mars Hill, just below the Parthenon there in Athens, Greece. We were there a few years ago. And Paul declared there at Mars Hill, truly, these times of ignorance in the past, God overlooked. But now, God commands men everywhere to repent, turn, not a 360, a 180. He says, because he has appointed a day on which he'll judge the world in righteousness by the man Jesus whom he has ordained. And he's given us assurance of this. How did God assure us? By raising Christ from the dead. You see, we need some preachers today and we need some churches to be willing to say you must repent. It's not just a feel better preaching. It's not just a do better message. It is turn from your sin and trust the Savior by faith. If you want to come to Jesus, surrender. Let go. Raise the white flag. Say, I can't do it on my own. I've tried. I've tried. I've tried. I'm frustrated. I'm far from you, oh God. I must come by Christ alone, by the way of the cross. I am putting my hand in the nail-scarred hand of the Lord Jesus. That's what happened yesterday. And I said, it's beautiful when this place becomes a maternity ward. And a sweet gal came up and handed me a card, and she said, when you said that, I thought, we're not just a maternity ward, we're an eternity ward. I said, that's good, I'll use it, I'm stealing it. So, eternity ward, don't you want to be a church where babies are constantly being born? Biological and in new birth, by the way. Don't you want to be a church where God is bringing new life over and over and over? Do y'all want to be a place where we keep up the aquarium, or do y'all want to be a place where we fish for men? Now, what's it going to be? 
What do you want to be? I want to be a church where men and women and boys and girls of any age, of any background, of any color are welcome to come and also hear this gospel and trust Christ as Lord and Savior because here's the deal. Christ has come. He has paid the price. He was buried and raised by the power of God the third day and now God demands men repent, turn from sin and self, turn to Christ as Savior and he provides the justification and the redemption, and he is our propitiation that turns the wrath of God from us. Righteousness is from God. It is not based on our works. It is based on his grace. It is secured by the sacrifice of Christ. It is appropriated or received only by faith in the Lord Jesus alone. Two weeks ago, two weekends ago, Miss Cindy and I took off real early on a Saturday morning to go ride through uh, Cades Cove. Y'all know Cades Cove, right? Everybody? I think it's one of the, not only one of the most beautiful places in East Tennessee, I think it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. There's one major problem with Cades Cove, of course. We know that there's no hunting there, and it would be much prettier if there were hunting there, but I'll hold those comments to myself. I'm just trying to say the deer population would be healthier if they would let some of us go in with bows. So two weeks ago, we were riding through. We went really, really early in the morning, and we needed to wait till the fog lifted to really enjoy the park. So we parked at one of the earlier uh, turnouts to go to one of the log cabins, and we were just enjoying the walk through the woods. There was a couple at one stop. They were walking out, and a big old buck, I could see him. He was bounding through the woods over here, and he jumped on the path right behind them, scared them to death. I thought it was hysterical, but they were, they were scared. You know, you'll see deer, and you'll see turkey sometimes. You'll see black bear and things, and we were just having a great time. We were all alone back there at this, this cabin, and it had some other things around it. Cindy, of course, kept trying to make out with me, and I said, no, leave me alone, right? I know I'm uncontrollable with this, but... Like, just chill out, baby. People might come up. <laughs> Something like that. And so, but seriously, I, I was preparing all this, and the Lord, I saw those trees, those incredible, gigantic trees. There were some pines, but really the hardwoods what struck me. And I said, honey, isn't it amazing to think that some of these giant, mighty oaks were here when this guy, Elijah might have been his name, but I said, when this guy was building this cabin for his family, some of these trees were here. And it's amazing when you think about that. We were blessed in our home in North Carolina and Northwest North Carolina for, we had three giant white oaks in our backyard. Tree specialists said one of them was at least 150 years old. Now I'm gonna tell you the truth, I'd rather have an oak in my yard than a Bradford pear any day. Okay, you know the difference, right? Bradfords are beautiful. They're beautiful trees. They have beautiful shape. They grow quickly. They bloom beautifully unless you have bad allergies. They're beautiful, but what happens when the, when the, when the ice sets in on a Bradford pear? They split, right? They're just not very hardy. Give me an oak, give me a maple any day. But I've planted both, and let me tell you what's interesting. In our yard, we had those three big oaks, and I thought about those big oaks at Cades Cove, I thought about what it took to get them there. And you know how the squirrels will do with the acorns, right? The ac acorns. She didn't like the way I said acorns, but they're acorns. With the acorns. The squirrels, when they were getting ready for winter, what do they do? You know, they'll dig and they'll bury them in the ground. Well, in the Lewis house, uh, in, in, on our land, it's never been safe so much for a squirrel. So the squirrels would bury their, the little acorns, and then some of them in our natural areas would start to come up. Have you ever tried to pull a little baby oak that's just sprouted? Super simple. 
<laughs> you just go along and just pop it out like a regular weed, and sometimes that acorn's still kind of hanging on the bottom as it's beginning, just beginning to break open and sprout. But what happens if you leave that alone and the conditions are right? Well, we know this. As the tree grows up, what happens? The roots grow down. And as the tree grows wide, your tree specialist will tell you it's pretty much like that under the ground. You can pretty well follow the root under the ground to the width of that mighty tree. And we know that when those trees are allowed to grow and thrive and they have the proper nutrition and the water and all of those things, that when the winds come, and they will, and the rains beat against them, and certainly they're going to do it, and the storms are howling, we know that the mighty oak, as much as any tree, or the great maple, we know that they will hold strong. And what I'm saying to you guys here as we think about this subject of being right with God is, if every time the wind blows, your tree falls down, maybe your roots aren't planted in the right place, okay? If every time something happens to you, it's woe is me, and oh, where is God in this, and all that, maybe you're not planted right. But when the wind howls, and when the rain blows, if you are still standing strong, I didn't say it doesn't hurt. I didn't say you had to like it, but I mean you're still standing strong, then maybe you could thank God today that your roots of faith have grown down and wide and taken root, because I'm telling you, folks, the only way to withstand in this life and the only way to enjoy the life to come is to repent, to trust Christ and Christ alone for your eternal and abundant life. I love you enough. I love you enough. And you out there watching, listening, wherever you are, I love you enough to tell you the truth. There's a lot of manby-pamby, wishy-washy, goobly, got cotton candy preaching out there that says, just do this and you'll get your promotion. Just feel better. And that's what the preachers do too. They do that when they preach that way. And I'm going to tell you right now, that is sending people to hell. This is not do better. This is trust God. Raise the white flag of surrender. Christ and Christ alone must be your Savior. That is how to be right with God. Stand with me this morning. <clears throat> you guys are incredibly, incredibly generous. And eternities were changed because of you yesterday. But God has given you a chance this week for many families. This will be the week when you will be connected to people that you haven't been much connected to for a lot of the year. You're going to have maybe friends or family gather around the table. And for some of you, that's going to mean lost people in your home or you in theirs. And I'm going to ask in this invitation what I ask in the first. If you have an opportunity to maybe speak a word for the Lord and share the gospel in somebody's life this week, I'm going to ask you to step out and I'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment that God would give you the courage the divine appointment, just the right moment, and the exact words that you're going to need to say. I understand a truth. It is the hardest group in the world to reach with the gospel, your own family. I get it. It's the hardest group in the world to talk to, those you're closest to, because they, they know you're a heathen, right? They know. So I'm going to ask that God would give you those three things, okay? The courage, the divine appointment, the moment, and the words when the moment comes. And I'm going to ask you to pray likewise. 
I'm going to ask some of you to feel so led. Come out and thank God for what he did yesterday. We work, we work, we work. We put all this effort in months and months and months. God shows up. People get saved here. People get touched out there. Those cards, I can't wait. We're going to publish some of that information without names. We're going to publish some of that prayer information and praise information online in the next week or two. And we're going to show you what God did. But somebody ought to come and say, God, thank you for what you did. Because I'm not the only guy that was disappointed by the crowd. Some of you were disappointed, but we've got to be reminded that God's got a bigger plan than we do, and God wanted to touch people that we didn't even know until yesterday afternoon. We've got to be reminded of that. So some of y'all ought to come and thank God for that. And then there may be folks, you need to join this church. You need to, maybe you need to join the family of God. Miss Cindy and I will be standing over here in a minute with pastors and counselors, and we would love to speak to you. We're regularly seeing people come to faith in Jesus right over here with our counselors and pastors. Just come. Nail it down. Settle it. You can't do it on your own. And I love you enough to tell you, Jesus is the only way, and you can trust him today and be right with God. Heavenly Father, I love you and I thank you for the opportunity to speak this word of truth, even in my feeble attempts to bring it down in a way that we can understand it. I pray that your spirit has spoken to hearts. I know you've spoken because we've read your word and every time the word is written, every time the word is read, you're speaking. But now I pray that we would hear the word and apply the truth. I pray for many today that are going to have Thanksgiving with family and friends, that you give them boldness, a divine appointment, and the words to say when they get the appointment. I pray, Lord, that we would be a people of thanksgiving. I, for one, am humbled by what you did yesterday. Many decisions for Jesus, 10 new brothers and sisters that professed faith in baptism, and, Lord, countless others that were touched. We've only got... Uh, several hundred cards but there are many others beyond this campus and that's the beautiful part about what happened yesterday it went really far beyond this campus I love that and I thank you for that and I pray that you'd move us in these minutes we have remaining in Jesus name Amen